is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Ben Ark, and we're talking about being a prolific prototype creator person. Before we jump into this episode, a message from your friends at the Lightning Junkies podcast. If you take value away from this podcast, please consider supporting us. You can do this by listening to us on Breeze Wallet or one of the other many value for value apps you can find at newpodcastapps.com. You can also support us by going to lightningjunkies.net forward slash support where you can find all the different ways that you can support Cat and I in our Lightning Network journey. Please help to keep this podcast ad-free by supporting us today. Now let's jump into this episode. How are you doing, Ben? Yeah, good. That's a good descriptor. I like it. I might, I might change my 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 description from Bitcoin hobbyist to prolific prototyper. Do you think that's a kind of accurate description? Because I feel like that's kind of what you do. You kind of go around and you find little little subtopics or subcategories, and you just fuck around and you make stuff. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, it is. I get very excited about something and then um, I want. I kind of feel this need to build something and then I, I build something and then afterwards, this is why a lot of my projects, you know, sorry to the people out there, um, they're, they're pretty poorly maintained. Uh, and th- thankfully, some of the better projects, because some of them are nuts, some of the better ones, which actually are useful, can pull in some proper developers who are able to keep an eye on the repos and, and maintain them. I generally just get excited about, so I'll hear about something, I'll get excited about, I'll have an idea for something, I want to make it. And then I'll, you know, burn the midnight oil. Uh, it'll be all consuming. And then, you know, a few days later, I'll move on to something else, which is the very enjoyable thing about obviously working on a protocol like the Lightning Network, which is on the, the edge of technology. So there's, there's all this sort of blank space which you can work into and you can discover and do things for the first time. And like one of the more recent things I've been working on this week is, um, point of sale, which uses LNURL pay. So it means that the point of sale could be completely offline. And if you think about it, that's, you know, in our modern world, that's actually better than the points of sale devices we have in shops now. You go to a shop quite often, they'll say, oh, the, the point of sale isn't connecting to the Wi-Fi. We've had, you know, connection issues. But the point of sale, which I've made, it just um, creates this encrypted pin, which it then encrypts into the LNURL. So when they've paid it, they get a receipt. And in the receipt, it has the decrypted pin. So they can then say that pin to the merchant and then the merchant on the point of sale can press another button and they can see an un- un- you know, decrypted version of that pin and they can confirm that there was a payment. Uh, so that was like an idea I had. And um, I think in our Telegram group, one of the Telegram groups, you know, I was like, oh, damn, I got to have this idea now. I've got to... It was annoying because I've got quite a lot of stuff on in, in, in my real life and uh, there's lots of things going on in, say, Alan Bits, for example. Um, and then I was like, okay, I've got, I've, I've just got to do this thing. I've got to make this thing, get it out of the way. And then it's, it's very satisfying to make something and, and, and realize it's the, the first iteration of that thing, which has ever existed. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're making breakthroughs. Even in fact, the other day, uh, someone who was making this, this dad, in fact, who's teaching his kid electronics by doing some of my tutorials, making some of the little gizmos, which I've made the hardware gizmos. 
he bought the sweet machine which I use, the candy dispenser I used to to make a, a lightning candy dispenser. And the, the version I made had a little screen on it and it would go fetch an invoice, display the invoice on this little screen, you could pay it and then it would spit out the sweets. But I'd also made another project, which was LNURL Trigger. So that used an LNURL, so an LNURL Pay allows you to have like a static QR code, which you can scan, pay, and then just keep scanning and paying. You don't have to keep generating these new invoices. Uh, so I said to him, I was like, well, why don't you mix those two projects together? And then, you know, then your candy dispenser, instead of having a screen, you can just use a little sticker for a QR code. And it's much cheaper to make. It's actually much easier to kind of set up because the uh, LNURL Trigger, which I think it's called, that project is very easy to set up. You can just kind of put in the um the variables like your you know your ln bits wallet or your ln bits install you can put them all on through uh, an access point which it generates and you can access on your phone so there's li- very you know limited programming involved in it and this obviously you don't have the screen you have to connect as well anyway so i said why don't you mix those two projects and and he did and then you know within half an hour he sends me this picture he's created the most advanced candy dispenser on the planet Using this uh, LNURL protocol, and, and you're able to send uh, you know a tiny amount of satoshis and then get some sweets for the satoshis. So he had that experience too. That you know he owns something, he's got something in front of him, which another one on the planet doesn't exist, um, and it's on the cutting edge of development. People will inevitably start to find useful, as we've seen with all the you know adoption we're seeing in El Salvador. People will actually start using these sci-fi creations which we do and they'll use them in the real world and um, it'll be useful for someone so yeah it's a great feeling i'm very lucky and privileged to be around at a time where it's fairly easy to make breakthroughs i imagine it's it's kind of as you know like the internet was fairly early on it was quite easy i think that's why we had this crazy dot-com bubbles and it's quite easy to kind of come up with a breakthrough idea which no one had done before um whereas now you know obviously that gets harder and harder the more people who are educated and able to wield the internet and, and do technical things on the internet. So I imagine the same with Bitcoin as more and more players get into the technology and more and more people start experimenting with things like Lightning Network. Um, it will be harder to make these breakthroughs, but currently it's super easy and very satisfying. Last time you were on the show of June of last year, the main topic that we were talking about was like do-it-yourself hardware. So for example, the M5 stack, I have it right here in front of me. I kind of played around with it and had it be like a lightning POS, basically. It seems to me like the, the, the pathway that you took, you know, with your being a prolific prototyper, as it were, was you're kind of going through and doing these projects in a way to kind of teach yourself. If I remember correctly, you beforehand didn't have a lot of um, experience in hardware and you kind of just use these projects as a way to kind of teach yourself, you know, various uh, pieces of the puzzle. If I remember correctly, you already had C experience. No, not. I mean, yeah, I had I had very limited experience. I mean, I'd done some rudimentary electronics covering other teachers when I was a teacher, you know, covering their electronics class. I was always very excited. There was something called uh, pick chips, which were quite big in UK schools, probably about sort of 15 years ago. And they were actually earlier than that, maybe maybe sort of 18 years ago. Um, and they were just very simple little, I don't even think they were microcontrollers, just little chips, which you could kind of like, you had like a piece of software, you could make like a flowchart diagram and you could, you could, you know, you could get it to turn an LED on and you could program it to act like a, a traffic light system or something. And I remember being very excited about that. And I was, uh, I think I covered a friend's class a couple of times teaching the kids. 
I'd order like maybe like an Arduino Uno or something and try and muck about with it. Uh, it's obviously the the learning curve was quite steep then. There was less, and the hard the, te- the hardware was less forgiving. I think. Whereas now I think the the hardware is more forgiving. There's a hell of a lot of material online. When I paused teaching for a few years to to play around with Bitcoin stuff and do some of the things in my in my in my life, yeah, you can search some Arduino microcontroller project on YouTube and then think, well, can I, you know, can I use Lightning in this? Can I take this thing and, and use it in some way to send Lightning payments around? But there was quite a lot so you know like that point of sale so you know sometimes i think maybe i taught myself down a little bit too much so like that um m5 stack point of sale uh project there was probably like 20 different points of sale i made using lots of different electronics hardware there was a few kind of end projects which came out of it like there was the quickening which was an under eight dollar version of this pretty much the same point of sale as what what you made and then there was the m5 stack stats version which was a really nice sort of off the shelf unit which has you know a screen and it has kind of like a calculator um keypad on it so you can input an amount and you can you know press like a hashtag and then and then it has like a nice little microcontroller which was powerful enough to reach out to the internet and get an invoice and then check to see if the invoice is being paid and that's how you're able to make that point of sale but yeah there was quite a lot of kind of r&d you look at arduino type projects out there on the internet out there on youtube and then you start thinking, well, how do I apply Bitcoin to this? You know, that's something which other people aren't doing. So before you know it, you're, you're in virgin territory or doing something new. And that's when you need to start exploring you know, different components and trying to use different components for the thing you want to make. But yeah, there was a whole bunch of different versions to that point. So probably my favorite version used the old Nokia 2010 screen, one of those old Nokia 2010 screens, because they're really low powered and I just really like them. And I actually managed to squeeze a lightning QR code onto them. The only problem was that you couldn't, if you had root hints, which are very useful if you're accepting payments, if you had root hints in your Lightning invoice, then it wouldn't be able to display the invoices. I think it was Jorg from Room 77. He started using that M5 stack sats, the M5 uh, stack version of the point of sale, which you you made. And that was great because it was being used in a, a busy bar, taking a lot of Bitcoin payments, and it survived You know the the, the stress test. There was some great feedback from York actually using the, the point of sale, you know, in real life. And then he did a, a podcast actually I was listening to. And in it, he said, you know, uh, it's the first point of sale, which you can run and use like, you know, specific point of sale device, which you can run and use without a trusted third party. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that, but it's absolutely true. Like usually if you're using a point of sale terminal or device, you have to use a trusted third party. You have to use like a bank or you have some sort of like point of sale provider who routes payments through you, so your bank or your whatever else. Then you start getting, you know, positive feedback from people out in the community are really encouraging. Uh, people start making your projects like you did and you get really nice feedback. Good to go back to what you originally said. Yeah, absolutely. I used I used uh, all of that as an excuse to, to learn electronics and, and learn to, to program. If I was to do it all again, I think I would probably, you know, sit down for a few months and do some actual courses on something like Udemy or I don't know, some, you know, official courses with which teach you a programming in a certain language stage by stage. because uh, there was a lot of hair pulling out of there was a lot of times you get stuck over something really silly, you know, like I didn't know what the, the difference between like a float and an integer or something. And they're all like the rudimentary building blocks you're you're taught when you learn programming properly through a course or something. So I wish I'd I'd done that rather than just sort of hacked away. But you know, the hacking away stuff's fun. At the time, uh, 
uh, you get more of a reward and sort of instant gratification. Whereas having to take a more um, official way of learning something, it takes a little bit of time before you can start getting your hands dirty and building things. But yeah, if I was to do it again, then and my advice to people would be to, you know, just sit down for a month or so. It's not hard and do a couple of courses. Would you say that the way that you pick your projects is largely intuitive? You don't sit around and say, well, I need to work on X, Y, Z because it's the most important thing. It seems to me you just kind of pick what is interesting to you and you just have at it from there. Yeah, it's things which which kind of get in the way, like pretty much early on when I first started making that sweet machine for the first time, before I could even get a QR code on one of the little e-paper screens I was using at the time. That was a battle. I couldn't, it took me a few months just to get the QR code on the little e-paper screen. Before I even got to that stage, I, I was like, well, why, why do I have to have a screen? Can I not just have like a QR code, a static QR code? I was in the New York Lightning uh, hack day and I met with this guy called George. So I was chatting to him today, in fact. He'd built a, an arcade machine and he wanted, to accept, he wanted to accept Lightning payments on it. And we were, we were kind of fleshing out this idea and he was like, well, actually you could just have a URL in a QR code and then your wallet could just like do a request to that URL. He could send you back an invoice and then you could just reuse that QR code as a static QR code. And obviously that idea is pretty much what LNURL Pay is, um, which uh, the BLW Bitcoin Lightning wallet lot were working on uh, afterwards. That's just something which kind of got in the way of me being able to make something. So as soon as you start sitting down and you try and make something on Bitcoin, you're like, okay, something, something gets in the way of it. Or something's annoying and, and, and persistently kind of takes your time until you think, well, okay, there needs to be a solution for this thing to, to make this experience easier. LM Bits, for example, a cornerstone to that thing being developed was that everything I'd make, I'd need to make multiple versions of it to talk to LND, uh, Lightning DC, Lightning, OpenNode, LMPay, all these different, you know, f- potential funding sources or Eclair. You know, if I was making that point of sale terminal, I'd have to build like a load of different versions just to talk to all those different funding sources. It was very clear that rather than replicating that work and then all those people out there in the world, you know, making things on Lightning, having to replicate that work, it makes sense to have just a piece of software which sits between the funding source and between the thing you're building. And it just does the connection between the funding source and the thing you're building. And then that's maintained separately by lots of people who you know, also find that a, a useful service. So I don't know if you remember fairly early on, people would say, oh, I've, I've made this for LND or I've made this for Lightning D. More and more, I'm seeing people saying, okay, now I've made this for LNBits or, or that for LNBits. And they're just using LNBits as kind of that middle layer to communicate with the funding source. Essentially, all a, funding, a Lightning funding source is doing is you know, fetching an invoice, uh, checking if it's been paid, or, um, and giving it an invoice and paying an invoice. You know, they're, they're the sort of core functionality of like a Lightning node or a Lightning funding source. That's something which just got in the way of me building stuff. So, and no one else seems to be making anything. It's like, okay, okay, we need to sit down and just make something to make my own life a little bit easier. And then other people find it useful as well. I think a lot of the, like the, you know, development comes from that. I, this idea that you can kind of sit around and, and wait for a kind of divine inspiration is just nonsense. Like you just get your hands dirty, just start building. Even if the thing you start building is, is stupid and pointless, you'll probably find something useful and productive will come out of it eventually. Before the show started, we were talking about the Fiat Jaff and Rusty episode. As I'm sure you know, in that episode, we explore their very different worlds, Rusty being a protocol developer and Fiat Jaff kind of living in the app layer somewhere. 
there's a great weird article, which if you Google, you can probably still find. And it's on his VHF's weird.xyz website. And it's a, it's a text file. I think it's like BIP 170. And he's like, this is why BIP 170 will fail and uh, LNURL will win. Uh, it's not offers, I don't think, which Rusty's proposing. It's like an old proposal when LNURL first started. And, and in there, there's a, one of the things he says is one of the bullet points is LNURL is created by weirdos who've got nothing to do but push its survival and success. And I think that's true. Like, you know, you, down in the gutter, all the sci-fi weirdos building strange applications and hardware and software using Lightning Network, they found this problem, like I did with that sweet machine very early on. You're like, I need a static QR code. Um, and then thankfully, that, that, you know, that problem was addressed by a bunch of gigabrains like uh, Anton and Fiat Jeff, and they, they realized that having a wallet, a Lightning wallet, do a safe you know, get request to a URL can be really powerful. You can use it for creating channels. You can use it for having like a withdrawal link, like a faucet. You can use it for paying a static QR code. You can use it even for authentication because there's LNURL auth as well. And then they were in the position where they had the ability to, to sit down and actually write a really nice protocol and address that problem properly. But that all came from the gutter by the weirdos, you know, in the weird telegram groups. Whereas on the other side, you've got the, the protocol devs and fairly early on, I think maybe this is something which was passed over from Bitcoin uh, on-chain because a lot of that's crypto-heady and the software is fairly well-developed, like Core is fairly well-developed, and it's less of an application layer, so you're less likely to kind of have people like building applications on it so much. But then when Lightning came along, Lightning Network came along, you know, these obviously have protocol developers and obviously they've got to meet and decide specification. But I do think there's kind of this technocratic atmosphere or there was amongst some of the, the protocol developers they were the ones they were the geniuses and we should just all you know like and retweet their tweets and we shouldn't then get our hands dirty and start building things ourselves lnurl was was clearly something which had to happen my friend george who i mentioned before who who did the arcade machine i was bugging him to like write a bip or something get the idea out there and a suggestion of how how people might might find it useful uh, and Christian Musel as well, actually, he was involved with our conceptual version of, of, of LNURL before it was that, before LNURL existed. There is actually uh, a proposal somewhere on the mailing list by me saying, I think it'd be great if we could have a URL and then have the ability to hit that URL and get an invoice. You'd have smaller URLs. At least kind of like a whole bunch of benefits to, to having something like that. And I think one of them was it could inform protocol development. And then I had no response, actually, from my post on the, the Bitcoin mailing list. Actually, I posted it in the wrong place. It, it should be on the Lightning mailing list. So probably that's why I didn't have any response. But the only person who did respond was, uh, was, was Fiat Jaff. And obviously, they were working on the LNURL stuff. So that was really cool. Nice bit of history. Are you one of the sci-fi uh, weirdos here? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just making goofy sci-fi stuff. In fact, the El Salvador news was a shock. It was, you know, a, a lot of people didn't like, obviously, because of the, the scenario in which it's kind of forced upon people and it should rather be holistically kind of adopted by people. And I, I agree with a lot of that sentiment, but it is uh, exciting to see things working in the wild because that's how your software and hardware is informed and brought me back to my original point over the, the rusty stuff. So yeah, I mentioned that, that the LNURL, having something like that would inform protocol development. When I went to the Lightning Conference in Berlin and LNURL was like a thing in the wild, lots of people using it, pretty much all wallets had implemented LNURL withdraw and about half the Lightning wallets had implemented LNURL pay. So people were kind of starting to find that useful. 
it was, you know, the unsaid thing at the conference, but lots of people were talking about it at the bar. Lots of people were playing around with it in the hack space. It very much felt like a new tool, something which had been built by people in the gutter. There wasn't that much mention of it on the stage by the protocol developers who were there. A couple of their proposals were very close to what LNURL is and what LNURL allows. I think it was in Rusty's talk at the end, someone you know asked a question which did prompt him to say, you know, I really like what LNURL has done and it's great. And now I just want more of it. Who's proposing his offers concept. So it did do that. It did buy us a lot, getting our hands dirty and, and building something in the gut of for the people who are actually building stuff on the application layer and, and trying to make lightning more usable and more useful. It has gone and informed uh, the protocol development. And I think that's the way it should be. I think, you know, some of the, the stuff which the community has pushed and implemented has humbled the, those protocol devs. And now I think there's less of that kind of technocratic, you know, vibe from them. It's more of like a feedback, you know, community feeding back to them, them feeding back to the community and a bit more of a conversation, which is how it has to be. Going back to the other point you raised about uh, Bitcoin being adopted, and I mentioned the El Salvador thing, when that point of sale was used in a busy bar in Berlin, you know, that I, again, that's probably where Alan Bits came from because he was using it in the bar and not a popular subject, but one of his problems was that, you know, he needs to pay taxes and he needs to know what transactions came in through the bar and what people were buying. He needs to be able to gather all that information and he couldn't on his lightning node. So one of the first things we built into Alan Bits was just the ability to like export to a CSV file. So you can pull it into your QuickBooks and you can make sense of those transactions because, you know, real world businesses live in tax jurisdictions, they have to pay taxes. So that, but that's something I wouldn't have thought of because I'm not a business owner. I'm not running a bar or a cafe or something. So you, you only get that feedback from, you know, having something run in the wild. Before we kind of launch into Ellen Bits here, let's might as well kind of wrap up this conversation about Ellen URL and offers a bit. Obviously, we've had Ellen URL for a while. Um, the Lightning Conference was in October of 2019. We're, you know, nearly two years after that event. And since then, offers slash Bolt 12 has actually gotten fairly close to being a real world thing. So at this point, I guess my question is, what's your general opinion of offers slash Bolt 12, maybe in reference to Ellen Euro? To me, I, want, I don't want too much in there. I just wanted to, to generate an invoice, pay an invoice. And then for me to be able to check to see if the invoice is being paid. And a lot of that stuff I want to kind of just abstract out onto something else, into applications. The, the only drawback with something like LNURL, it is, you know, dependent upon a HTTPS, you know, like a secure certificate. And you are using uh, the internet rails. You know, if the internet went down and, and, and you're using Lightning Network in some other way, which wasn't dependent upon the internet, then you won't be able to, to, to make use of the, the protocol. There's a good argument, like for and against making these nodes more complex and you know protocol developers need something to do you know they need to, they need to keep solving problems so they, they're going to keep coming up with ideas i suppose and i'm sure people will find will find it useful but to your point um it's been two years and some of the stuff it's like that point of sale thing which i told you about with the you know the lnurl pay point of sale which i've been working on did i tell you about that in the yeah, did i ever mention that in the podcast so far I'm not sure if you mentioned it here, but I think you might have mentioned it in the previous episode, actually. The most up-to-date version of this point of sale 
adventure, which I've been on for the past few years, is, uh, yeah, it was a, a week ago when I realized I could use an LNURL pay in a point of sale and I could encrypt a pin and then the customer can validate, the, can prove that they've made the transaction by having a decrypted version of that pin sent back to them by the, the server, which is doing the LNURL stuff. And then the merchant using the point of sale can then press a button and see the pin and confirm that they've made the payment. Uh, but what that means is you have an offline point of sale, which doesn't exist currently out there in the real world. That's such an obvious idea. Now, having made the thing, I don't want well, quite made it, but you know, almost made the thing. It should be done in the next couple of days and I'll do a tutorial and things for it. But now having made it, that's such an obvious idea. It's like how, you know, it's not complicated. You just encrypt a pin on the POS and then give that encrypted pin and blah, blah, blah. But it takes a while for those obvious ideas, because you're breaking new ground, uh, for those obvious ideas to kind of take root and for someone to build something. So we've had two years of people building on top of using LNURL. Um, not so much LNURL pay, because that's only now just been like implemented by pretty much all Lightning wallets. But LNURL withdraw, that was implemented pretty early on. Like I said, at the light, you know, the Lightning, by the Lightning Conference, pretty much most wallets had it implemented. So we saw a lot of people building solutions using LNUR withdrawal, lots of products and solutions and building it into their software as a way of, you know, withdrawing money, for example, or sending a withdrawal link through an email or so there's always people kind of breaking new ground. But it, now LNUR pay has kind of been implemented in all the wallets. Now people are starting to take that more seriously and starting to implement that and, and play around with that software and, and technology. And it's the same with the, the authentication LNUR health. And I think the same will happen with offers as well. There will be a period where people just need to wrap their heads around this new technology and then start building things on it. And obviously, you know, the LNURL stuff has had much more of a head start. So lots of people are building stuff using it now. Hopefully, maybe some of that could port across to the offers thing. For now, I think, you know, LNURL is not going anywhere. People are going to carry on using it and it's going to take a few years for offers to really kind of be used and, and to sink in among the, the people developing things. I would be remiss not to mention LND's contribution to this world of uh, AMP invoices. Do you have any opinion about AMP invoices at all? I keep my world deliberately quite small, and I, I always feel like a Luddite when I have these conversations with well-informed Bitcoiners such as yourself who have this like crazy general knowledge of what's happening in, in the protocol and what's happening on, in the, the Bitcoin on-chain protocol. I just really focus on the the stuff I, I need to be able to build certain things. If either offers or amps or whatever, if they become used widely, then obviously I'll learn about them and start trying to build stuff with them. But my, yeah, rather than kind of confuse myself, trying to wrap my head around all these proposals, uh, even with offers, you know, my, my knowledge is very limited. Your average Bitcoiner probably knows more than I do on the topic. I just use what's really available to me there and then. Um, so I, you know, I haven't got anything productive or, or, or anything, you know, informed to say on, to say on it without a little bit of research. No problem. Let's go ahead and kind of jump back into LN bits here. So you've mentioned it quite a few times. Uh, you've mentioned quite a few of the extensions that have been built with it. I think we, we kind of explained it last time, but just in case we have listeners that are too lazy to listen to the last one for whatever reason. Do you want to kind of briefly inform them what LNBits is first here? It came from a lot of problems. So it's a solution for a lot of problems, like I said, or I've already mentioned about the being a kind of a layer for connecting a funding source to your application. So now, you know, my new point of sale, it just communicates with LNBits. And then I can use any funding source underneath LNBits. 
So the new point of sale I'm making is using LNURPay. I can fund it with you know LND, Lightning D, OpenNode, LNPay, Spark Wallet, um, and there's a couple of others I can't remember. There's that problem it's solving. The other problem which I wanted as well was multiple accounts, and I, I bugged OpenNode for uh, ages because I used OpenNode a lot. It's a great service. The KYC thing kind of sucked, but when you're like prototyping and building things on Lightning and you don't want to spin up a node and you don't want to like expose your node to that dodgy thing which you're developing, which actually can spend funds. Like you have, I'm building my ATM, for example, and I don't want to like go to the effort to make a whole node and then make channels and stuff and then give it my admin key and then somehow mess it up and like lose my funds. Uh, open Node's a great service. The only problem with Open Node was, I don't know if it's still the case now, uh, I hope it isn't. The only problem with Open Node is you have one account. So you can't keep too many funds on there um, because if you do, uh, then if you're building something which has admin keys, then you could lose those funds. So I wanted the ability to have multiple accounts. So my ATM, which I was built, again, this comes from a, a problem which I had. I had an ATM, which I was building a Lightning ATM. It needed the ability to spend funds, but I didn't want to give it access to all my funds. So I needed just uh, an account which I could put maybe $50 in or $100. And then when that draws down, I could just top it up. Or maybe I could write a little script which tops it up automatically or alerts me if it's, you know, ran out or something so I can go check the ATM. But I needed something. So that's another problem which needs to be solved was multiple accounts. And then the other thing which I thought I really liked the concept of was, you know, like WordPress is renowned to be shitty software. Um, it looks kind of nice. And, you know, for non-technically minded, it's pretty easy to work with, which is nice. It's got a good uh, UI. Although maybe nowadays it probably hasn't compared to what else is out there on the market. But the reason WordPress was successful was they made it, oh, crikey, I mean, it's not easy now, but at the time they made it fairly easy to kind of build extensions on. You know, so if you tried to build like a Joomla extension, it was a lot harder than building like a WordPress extension. So with WordPress, you start off with a very simple blog and then you can take it in any direction you want to take it. And you want to make a shop, okay, you go and use WooCommerce. Or if you want to, I don't know, have video content, then you can use some other extension. And if you're going to have like a community, like a forum, you can have like extension for managing users. I really like the idea of having extensions and also because you know, I'm a bit of a goofball and I get excited about something and I focus on it and I want to build something and then I want to move on and do something else. The, the concept of extensions appeals to me a lot because I can sit down, uh, I can spend a whole day writing something and then have this new functionality, but I don't have to replicate all the base functionality of like communicating to a funding source. So I don't know if anyone remembers, but like I made the first faucet using LNURL withdraw. It's called the Sinclair faucet after Sinclair, the, the Clive Sinclair, the guy who made the ZX Spectrum, if there's any uh, UK computer enthusiasts out there. So I made the Sinclair faucet and that was, you know, you could put an amount in and then put another variable, like how, how much you could pull on each withdraw and then how long you had to wait between withdrawals. And then you paid a lightning invoice and then you had a link and you could share it with people um, and it would have an LNURL withdraw on. And then you could hit it and it would give you some money, it would give you some sats. And then if you hit it again, you, you know, it might say you had to wait another 30 seconds or minute or whatever variable, you know, whatever time you put in there. So that was like a fun little project. And like people in within Bitcoin really liked it, you know, and people on the Twitter liked it, kind of got their imagination firing about Alan your withdraw and using them as faucets and having this idea of putting time in there as well. So that was a great little project, but it's a very small amount of functionality. But, you know, essentially, which was sitting on top of the same functionality which everyone else is replicating, which is talking to a funding source, getting an invoice, paying an invoice, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it made sense that you would have a piece of software which do all that heavy lifting for you, 
you could then just add some functionality on top of through an extension, had multiple accounts. And then also the Insta wallet thing. So uh, Christian Rutzel, he was involved in the Chaos Communication Congress and he would run this. This is a, a big event in Leipzig in Germany where like 20,000 hackers from around Europe, they descend on these big aircraft hangars and they do all these amazing things. And there's a Bitcoin assembly, it's a little area for Bitcoiners, which is actually embarrassingly small because a lot of those anarchist hackers don't like Bitcoin, which is a travesty in my, my opinion. But hopefully they'll start coming around to Bitcoin. Anyway, get back on topic. Someone made, I can't remember, I always feel really bad because I can't remember the name of the project. And obviously, because it's such an inspiration to me with the Alan Bits, I need to remember the name of this project. So you can probably Google it and find it. Someone made like an Insta wallet. So you could have a QR code and then it would open a browser and then you would be able to like use your camera to scan a scan an invoice and then pay an invoice. It would be like a lightning wallet in a browser. Although it was really buggy and, and it would open the wrong camera and it didn't didn't really work properly. But the concept was there and it was solid. Uh, so so Christian really liked that and he was like, Yeah, we'd it'd be nice for when we go to these when you do a meetup or you do a conference or you know, you're evangelizing people into Lightning Network, it'd be nice if there was a way to give them like an instant wallet where they don't have to download a piece of software. They have an instant wallet. You can give them some funds and then they can start paying for experiences. So that was the idea of the instant wallet thing, you know, in the browser. Yeah, that's that was another kind of core cornerstone to the LMBITS project. So it does all those things. Firstly, when you open up, it's just a lightning wallet. It's connected to a funding source, which can be your own funding source if you're running it yourself, which we advise. Or you could use somebody else's LMBITS solution. So you can, you know, provide like a custodial kind of open node I think as well at the time as well, I was kind of thinking about like custodians. I'm not against custodianship. I think Bitcoin throughout is custodial, to be honest, but it's just a varying spectrum of custodianship. But I do think that it's important there's like lots of custodians out there. So I don't just want like one open node and an LMP. I want like the ability to make it easy for lots of people to become custodians, micro custodians, custodians for their friends, family. You're making banks, aren't you? The, the ability to easily make a bank. So I think that was kind of in the air at the time as well, like decentralizing custodianship by making it easy for anyone to be a custodian. So you can run it yourself. You can use somebody else's Alan Pitts. It's all if they let you. And you can generate as many wallets on it as you want. Uh, and each wallet has its own API keys. It's very easy to make a new wallet. So you can you know, do goofy experiments or you could just have a wallet for your point of sale or you could just have a wallet for your ATM. Or if you've got a, an arcade machine, um, Paul, you, each arcade machine could have its own wallet. So that's quite kind of useful. So that's how it starts off. It's just a, a wallet system connects to a funding source. But then if you go into extensions, it then has like loads of extensions for doing all the LNURL stuff because it was pretty hard to kind of do LNURL stuff on your own funding source, like your LND or your Lightning D. But now LNBits makes that really easy. Like you can mint an LNURL withdraw or an LNURL pay uh, and you can you know, put your LNURL pay on your Twitter page and people can pay that invoice. You can put it in a picture. There's, there's extensions for all sorts. There's a, a point of sale extension, which is like a shareable point of sale, which is pretty nice where you can spin up a point of sale and it's denominated in a fiat currency. So it's easy for, you know, if you're in a cafe um, and you want to accept Bitcoin, you have people working at the cafe and you don't have to explain to them Satoshis and how to denominate your coffees in this volatile Satoshi thing. You can just denominate in USD and then it converts to Satoshis on the screen. And then you can press a button on the, it looks really nice on your phone. It runs on your phone nicely. You can press a button on this point of sale and then it generates a QR code. And then whoever's on next can scan that QR code they then have, it's just a web browser with you know point of sale, like a, a keypad thing on it and generates an invoice. They can then use that point of sale as well. So that's a really nice, quick, super quick way of accepting Bitcoin. And in fact, I think it's Ibex in Guatemala. They're using, they've got a whole business model, um, which they're, they're in El Salvador. For people who will have to obviously accept Bitcoin, 
really they need to convert to fiat because of stability issues. They just provide that point of sale. So they go to you and they give you this point of sale, shareable point of sale, and it has you can't connect to the LMBits back end at all. IBEX manage that themselves. And then when the merchant, you know, receives payments after they've received, you know, however much, they can go to IBEX and then say, Oh, can I have the fiat equivalent of what I've received? And then IBEX gives them the fiat equivalent and then takes a small percentage for providing that service. So there's a whole service based on one LMBits install and then one extension. <laughs> And uh, and they've stripped out loads of functionality of LMBits. In fact, in fact, they've stripped out all the you know ability to spend from LMBits because they don't need that. They just need the ability for Lightning payments to come into it. And that's been quite a, a successful uh, extension. But so that's another one. I made one called Video Copilot, which makes it easy to accept Lightning payments while you're doing like a YouTube video, like a live stream, and then you can get it to trigger events. So I have like little animations which trigger on the screen. There's some examples on that in the World Crypto Network. We do like a weekly panel discussion on there and there's a, a few times where I've, I've used that extension so people can pay some money they can you know trigger a rocket or something to, to animate on the screen if they've got the right wallet lnurl pay which i'm using actually allows you to attach a comment to a payment as well so if they attach a comment to the payment that also displays on the screen which is pretty cool the one that i saw like i can't remember like six months ago or something Crypto Graffiti uh, was doing a project with you and Ellen Bits, I believe. No, not me. That was uh, that was Fiat Jeff. That was yeah. Oh, okay, but like it was using Ellen Bits on the on the on the back end though, right? Yeah, they made a whole extension called DJ Livestream, and this is interesting. Actually, um, stumbled across by trying to solve a problem. Stumbled across. I think it's a revolutionary concept, <laughs> which could have like quite profound impact. So I'll go into a little bit more detail. So uh, Crypto Graffiti and Fiat Jaff work together. So when Crypto Graffiti does his DJ set, people can tip him. Obviously with Lightning, normally that's impossible because you need to keep generating invoices. So you have this LNURL pay, people tip him. And then into the extension, which is like a real personalized niche extension, is the ability that if you pay enough, you then get a download link for the current track which is playing. And what's cool is when you make that payment, a percentage goes to the producer of the music and then a percentage goes to the DJ. So Crypto Graffiti gets his 10% and then the producer of the actual song gets his 90%. So you split the payment. Uh, and that's just something they worked into it. And I don't think they thought it was kind of just solving a problem or like, you know, you have, you're playing somebody else's music, so you need to be able to give them some money. But I don't think they picked up on how cool that concept is. So in like the Ellen Bits chat, we all got started freaking out because we're like, yeah, you could split payments. You could have like a micro venture, you know, people making coffee and they could all decide how much each person gets. You know, they could volunteer, they could decide sort of democratically amongst themselves. Like you get this amount, you get this amount, you get this amount. And then they could start a venture. And as soon as somebody pays for a coffee, that payment could be split among all the participants in that venture after the, the live stream thing came uh, a split payments extension, which does specifically that. I think it's huge. You can keep splitting. So with the splits payments extension, you say to a wallet, you say, if, if funds come into this wallet, then split between this wallet, this wallet, and this wallet. So you could keep doing that, you know, kind of like tree down. So you could have it go to a different department. And then as each department gets the funds immediately at the point of sale, when someone's had a bought a computer, say, for example, then each part department in the computer factory gets their chunk, which has been pre-decided. And then each person within that department gets their little chunk. And it all happens instantly. And you can keep looking at your, you know, 
if, if you're if you're not getting enough money in your wallet, then it's because you need to kind of ramp up production, or you need to go and you know speak to the salespeople. They're not working hard enough. I don't know you need to kind of work out. So for me, it's I, I find it absolutely fascinating concept. So that was something which came out of the live stream extension. Kurtico did this great video uh, where he did a set. I think it was in San Francisco in like some bank or something. Maybe it was like a Federal Reserve type bank or it had it had some sort of historical significance. And we were able to kind of accept payments and it worked really well. Yeah, it was great. That was a nice example of somebody making a niche extension. So if you think about WordPress again, you have general extensions, which are useful for a lot of people. And then you have real weird niche extensions, which will only be useful for a few people, but you know they're useful enough for somebody to take the time to develop them. Like my LNURL POS, because obviously that device which I'm making, it needs an extension, it needs somewhere to like send, to connect to when you scan the LNURL pay. And then, you know, decrypt the pin and send the pin back as a receipt to the to the customer. So I'm just building an LMBits extension. And in fact, yesterday I made the hardware. Today I sat down, I spent like four hours and I made the extension in about four hours. And that's super exciting. I think it's the fastest I've ever made an extension. And we need to get better at maybe making this more accessible. But now we have so many different varieties of extensions with so many different functions. If you know what you're doing, you can just go, okay, well, I need, you know, an LNUR pay. Okay. And I think I even probably, yeah, I think I checked on the, the live stream extension and pulled in a function for LNURL pay uh, into my extension. Cause I'm like, okay, I need that functionality from here. I need this functionality from over here. I think within LMBits, the software, we should do a huge kind of push to documenting, you know, useful extensions, which have functionality implemented well. And then say, look, if you need this functionality, these are the extensions you should go look in to, to bring in those functions. Um, yeah. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. Something that I think is kind of criminally underused within the Lightning ecosystem is LND Hub. And like this is uh, one of the extensions that I've used most often in relation to LNBits. I don't like the way that Blue Wallet sets up um, LND Hub through Blue Wallet itself. I can't remember the details off the top of my head right now, but there is some little detail that has made it really annoying to use. But the way that Ellen Bits just separates it out in a certain way, I can't remember exactly once again, but it just made it a very easy process. Like I have my, my business wallet over here, I have my personal wallet over here. So, you know, maybe my, you know, when I'm just doing my personal stuff over here, that's not commingling with my podcast money, whatever. I like LND Hub and how Ellen Bits supports it. Do you want to comment on LND Hub at all or the extension? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Igor and the work he's done on Blue White is phenomenal. And actually, you know, when I was to correct myself, before LNBits, LND Hub existed for making accounts and Blue Wallet uh, runs on top of LND Hub um, at its core. You know, originally Blue Wallet was kind of like an example of what you can do with LND Hub. But obviously LND Hub works, you know, specifically with LND and not other funding sources. Um, and also at the time when I was making LNBits, I think still now as well, because because Igor is like a legit genius. It's the it's not got like a UI or anything to kind of use. It was maybe like kind of above my head, really. I suppose maybe using LND Hub at that time, or I hadn't thought to use it, or maybe I'd have to like port it across to, to other funding sources or something. But yeah, it's great. One of the first extensions we made is again, this is actually a FHF extension. Is the LND Hub one, which means that if you have a wallet which you've generated in LN Bits, you can then access that wallet via your blue wallet phone you know people say to us well how come you haven't got like an os native app and we're just like to go use lnd hub just activate the lnd hub extension 
download Blue Wallet, scan it, use LND, use uh, use Blue Wallet. There's no point us making uh, OS native app apart from for vanity and to get our own branding in there because Blue Wallet is far superior to anything that we make. It's great. I love LND, but I actually want. I was trying to think of a way of getting that functionality into the core, maybe a little bit more. So there's a few things which we've made into extensions. And this is very hard because obviously, as we become more used to certain technology in LNBits, having access to it, like the LNURL stuff, we start to assume that everybody knows what those things are. And then we start to think, well, maybe we could just pull that into the core functionality of the, the LNBits wallet. You know, so when you open a wallet, you'd have a little QR code somewhere there where you can just scan it and then, you know, run it in your blue wallet. I'm in two minds of whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, because we do have a on the you know wallet page. We've got a QR code which you can scan and it, it's just a, the link, the URL link to that wallet. So you can then access that on your phone or something. You can just like, you know, send it to a different device by scanning a QR code. And there's part of me which thinks maybe we should have like a tab or something. And it's like, you know, you can do that. Or if you want, you can click on the tab and you can scan this L&D Hub QR code and then get it set up on your blue wallet without having to go and turn on the L&D Hub extension. And this is a good problem to have, but it's one which we're kind of stumbling into now is like having varying kind of degrees of maybe accessibility or not or support. So we've got loads of extensions and some of them are super useful. Um, and there's people who've made extensions which aren't included in our install or we've like deactivated by default. One of them is, is en- as an Ngrok extension, which is like anyone who's ever developed on LMBits finds it super useful because, you, you know, it's really quick to spin up and run LMBits on your own computer at home. But then you need for some stuff like experimenting with the uh, LNRL stuff, you need like a, a HTTPS, you know, a, a URL. And the only way to do that would be to, you know, do some port forwarding stuff and you know make a secure certificate blah 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 or you can do like a what's called a reverse proxy which is where you make kind of a tunnel going out from your computer for that specific service for your you know lmbits server and then you tunnel out to a uh, url which piece of people can access that url and they can access your lmbits server so we've got an extension called ngrok which does that um and it uses there's a third party called ngrok which is you can do a free version or a paid version uh, and it literally, you enable it, and then you get a random, ugly URL, which if you click on, you can then access your LM bits from the outside. Um, and it's, you know, it's times out after like an hour or something. But it's great if you're developing, you just quickly need to get that. But that's a very kind of niche community extension almost. So we disable it. And it would be nice if there was like, maybe like, so like, you know, I use like Arch Linux and you have like officially supported extensions where the kind of people working on LM bits, you know, if there's a, a bug or if there's something which needs changing in one of the extensions, they'll go in and like do it, you know, and you can PI LM bits directly. And then for some other community extensions, it'd be nice if there was a way of like, you had to, in your LM bits install, you had to say, yes, you know, I want to install these more experimental extensions from this source. And I understand that these aren't officially supported. And, you know, if I have a problem, then I will go and speak to the developer of those officially. And then they could have their own repos and things. That's like a ne- the next thing for LMBits really is like really thinking what we bring more into core, what we kind of distance out as being kind of community based as opposed to like officially supported by, just because there's not enough time, officially kind of supported by the you know core team. So that's something which kind of a lot of thinking will need to go around because obviously once we build that UX, it needs to, we don't want to change it. And maybe I'll have a look at you know other solutions which are, are doing that, like WordPress, for example. 
Would you mind if we did a bit of a lightning round <laughs> on a couple of these other extensions here and just kind of touch them very quickly here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So um, I, I'm seeing like a handful that are maybe under the same kind of bucket of where you're you're adding a pay functionality and then maybe slightly like like another functionality on top. So, for example, selling a domain or selling tickets or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, the tickets one. So uh, subdomains. That was one contributed by. Oh goodness me, have I forgotten his name? <gasps> I think I've forgotten his name. Goodness me, darn! If you go on the extension, you'll say his name. Um, and that's if you've got a Cloudflare. Cloudflare's got a really you know developed API. So if you've got a Cloudflare account, if you've got a URL, uh, and you want to sell subdomains, so like you know, because I'm a, a, a URL troll, I've got lnurl.com. <laughs> And uh, I might want to sell subdomains to lnul.com. Um, and people might want to buy them as well. They might find them useful. So if I, I can put that on Cloudflare, and then I can register my API key with the extension on my LNBits install. And then I can have a public-facing page where people can go. They can put in the subdomain they want. They can say how long they want it for, how many hours or days they want it for. And then um, I predefine how much that would cost per hour per day. And then, you know, they click on how much they want it for, how long they want it for, and then it generates an invoice and they pay it. And then they get, they can point that URL, that subdomain at, you know, an IP address of their own um, for a certain amount of time. Super cool. We did have another thing we were building with the cloud. Oh, yeah, the, with the Cloudflare API. So in fact, the that Ngrok thing I was talking about before, we're also, because Cloudflare, they do do like a reverse proxy thing. So we are building an extension for that as well. So you could actually have an, ex so if you had, say, I've got lmbits.com, I could sell reverse proxies and they could be like, you know, lightningjunkies.lmbits.com. And then you could use that reverse proxy for your own lmbits or for whatever you wanted to. So that, that could be quite interesting. That was an extension we were going to build. The other one she mentioned was the events, the ticket selling thing. I made that very early on. It, I just wanted to kind of flex a bit. So in that, you can generate a bunch of tickets with like a, a closing date for the tickets and then an event, you know, start date and closing date for the event. You then got a public facing page, which you can give to people. They can pay for a ticket with their email or they don't have to put in an email. It's optional. Once they pay for a ticket, they get a QR code and that's their, their ticket. And then they take that ticket to the event, that QR code, and then using the same extension, the admin, the person who's selling the tickets, they can you know click on a button and they can bring up a scanner and they can scan those tickets and register those tickets at the door. So you can run like, you know, a, a Bitcoin paid event. You know, I go to conferences and I'd, I'd basically see that function. I'd see you pay for a ticket online with Lightning and then you go to the event, you show them your ticket, they scan it and then they register you. Boom. And I just thought, well, you could build all that into a into an extension on LMBits. It's one of my first ones. So I think I probably need to go back and like see if there's any things which I could improve. Obviously, it was completely redundant after I made it because of uh, COVID <laughs> and people weren't having physical events where that, they would need that. Uh, but now, as, as, as the world starts opening up, I, I think more and more people start using it. And um, if there's anyone who wants to contribute out there and make it make it improve it or make it better, then, then please do like PR. Yeah, so you're right. And in fact, pretty much all extensions are a form. You fill out a form, uh, adding some variables, usually connected to a wallet. You're one of your LMBits wallets. Then it generates a instance of something, you know, like an event, for example. Uh, then you have a public facing page, like, you know, the place where those people go and register those tickets or the place where they go and buy the subdomain or the place where the point of sale terminal is. 
and then you know they can use that public facing page but they can't get back to the, the admin page and that that's that's pretty much a sort of standard way all these extensions have been built and in fact we were trying to figure out a way because at the moment you still have to like replicate GUI stuff where we were trying to figure out a way of just like having like a config.json which you could just literally put like these are the fields I want you know in my form and these are yeah these are these are this is the database fields which i want and then you could just get elements which just then generate all that stuff for you so make it even easier to make extensions but that's dead it's possible i'm told that's another one of fear ideas but it's it's just dead hard and will take a while to get there but yeah you're right 100 there's a lot of repetition in functionality but even so you're there's two different completely different things you know selling subdomains and selling tickets to an event we kind of hit the um, extensions here. We kind of hit Ellen Bits here. What's what's the future looking like for Ellen Bits? Is there any functionality you think is missing? Are there any extensions you'd love to see, etc.? There's tons, man. There's so many good ideas. Everyone who uses Ellen Bits is like has a good idea for an extension um, or a good idea for some functionality. It's in beta, so you have to be careful using it. it so we have three frameworks we use. For the front end, we use Quasar, which is great. does all our, you know, makes it look pretty, basically. And then for the uh, end view as well, Vue.js. Uh, and then for the back end, we're using Quart. Uh, and Quart, for Python people out there, is a asynchronous version of Flask. So Flask in Flask, it's a Python framework for building like an API. You know, send opening if someone goes to a certain route, you know, like a URL then you can get it to do some stuff and then open a page for them so that it returns a page opened with, you know, returns a page with, you know, variables in it, which they have access to. So we moved from Flask to Quark because we wanted the asynchronous stuff, which makes it Ellen bits a gazillion times faster and brings it into the, the modern modern times. And then also we can do like web sockets and loads of craziness like that. But Quart is, isn't as battle tested out there in the real world as it probably should be. So uh, we have these things, it's going to get get quite technical. We have um, these sort of listeners, uh, like a nursery, where we listen to see if invoices have been paid. And if you have lots and lots of invoices going through this nursery, and lots of listeners open, sorry, listening for certain invoices with certain tags or whatever, then it can trip over. What should happen is it should have error handling, it should show an error in your terminal and then move on, you know, continue to, to run. But just because of the way Quart hasn't been developed in that area enough, it just crashes the whole of Quart. So it sucks. You have to do like a restart. So we had to do some hacky wrapper. So if that part of Quart crashed, then we could try and get it to restart. But this is one of the bugs which is kind of keeping us in betas. It's just not very clean. So since we started LMBits, Fast API, which is another framework, that's really took off and it's got a lot of support. Uh, a lot of people are using it. It does loads of funky stuff as well. So we have like validation for data, you know, which goes into LMBits, which has been built specifically for LMBits. Whereas FastAPI uses something called Pedantic, which is like a, a framework which does that automatically, which is super clean and useful and, and really well researched and built. Currently, we have a branch on LMBits, the LMBits repo, where we've pulled out Quart and we're replacing it with FastAPI. There's a developer called Fusion44 who's leading that. And it's absolutely awesome, fantastic work. And I think it's really important work because it's that bug, that listener nursery bug, which means if you've got a busy server, occasionally you have to restart. It's no biggie. I mean, it takes a second to restart the Elabit server. It just is shitty. Pardon my, pardon my French. But the, that, that will 
that will get rid of that. That'll stop that from being a bug. Plus it will also make like our documentation, for example, we, we document all of our, say if you make an extension, you know, it's good practice to list all the API endpoints in the extension so you can use the API. But Fast API does all that automatically and it makes like a, a nice GUI. So you can go to like, you know, the URL backslash docs in a piece of software using Fast API and then it will show all the API endpoints and you can actually like put data in and run it and test it through like a GUI. So that's that's nice too. And it's really good to, for developers as well. So I think that's the next huge thing for LMBits is is moving from Quart to Fast API, and it's going to bring all these benefits. But it has been something of a slug. Core is almost pretty much done, uh, converted to using Fast API, and I think we've got the offline shop extension is converted to Fast API as well. And now it's a case of brute force, a bunch of us burning the midnight oil, going through each one of the extensions and just adapting it so it's to use Fast API instead of using Quart. Actually. Fast API and Quark kind of look similar. So it's hard, but it's not like you're not it's not like a huge change. So that's the I think that's the next big thing for LM Bits. As well as that, I want to see like these this Ibex bank in Guatemala using LM Bits. I think that's huge. And they're gonna give us because it's real world, they're gonna give us all this great real world feedback. And it's cool to see like anyone can spin up an LM Bits, they can offer a service and they can charge for that service, they can start making some money. I want to see more of that. I want to see more ways for you know a local business person to or a local person to 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 start streaming sats a very good concept which was suggested in the lmbits chat um is so say if you're running an lmbits install and people are doing transactions on there there's the ability for you to set a variable for a fee you know for the transactions you can charge like two percent for when transactions made the idea was that maybe you could generate like a referral link so if I take a point of sale, say there's a hairdresser and they don't accept Bitcoin, and I go and give them a point of sale, I can say, well, look, if you use this link and then get your friend, this other hairdresser, to use this point of sale and accept Bitcoin on, you know, use like LM bits, this this L this particular LM bits install, you will get a fraction of the fee. And then similarly, they can do the same thing and they can get a fraction of the fee. And what you will find is that, you know, the original forward-thinking hairdresser who realizes that you know lightning is the bee's knees and bitcoin's great and got all their friends that referral link and then their friends got put out the referral link etc 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 that hairdresser they'll be looking at their lm bits wallet and they'll just see you know the sats going up every time there's a transaction they'll just get that tiny little fee and they'll just have sats pouring into their wallet so it'd be great to kind of implement something like that like make it more kind of incentives for people pushing the software, uh, more educational stuff as well. We need to do more uh, workshops. Also make it easier to access uh, and build e e extensions. What else is it? Oh, the admin. Um, so currently when you install LM bits, you do it through the command line. It's not that hard. It's like seven commands in terminal or something, but it would be super nice. And we are, we have got a, a branch for it where, you know, you could like do it all through a GUI. So, so you get, Pretty much like WordPress, like originally in WordPress, you had to go like change the wp-config.php file and put in your server details, I think, or your database details to so connect to the database, sorry. Now with WordPress, when you spin up a WordPress, you get like a nice form. You can go and like fill out your details, put your, the title of the website in and all that stuff. So pretty much like that, that with LMBits, you know, you, you have like a form and you'll be able to just fill it in. You'll be able to fill in your uh, funding source details. And then once it launches, you would then have an ad. That first account is the admin account. And then you've got access to an admin extension. 
And that in the admin extension, you can change stuff. So you can like change the theming of the LM bits install or limit the themes you can use. You can limit access to extensions. You can limit you know, how many, which users get access to your install. Basically, all stuff you can do now, but you have to do it through this variable, this, this like um, uh, text file where you have to put in different variables. Uh, bring all that into the GUI to make it easier for people to do that. Um, and then there may also be some node management in there as well. You know, if you if you're running LND or something, you could have like a. I was, hoping, I was trying to. I was thinking of when we get to that point of trying to pull in like you know the ride the lightning a lot to make like a, a cut down version of ride the lightning just for someone who wants to like you know open channels and and use that admin extension to do so if they're running LND or C or Lightning D or something on the LM bits, then they can, in the admin extension they can just do some of that without having to have having to have additional software. They can do some of that functionality, that no management functionality too. So yeah, so many things to build. And anyone out there, please get involved. Uh, it's you know completely free and open source, very useful piece of software. It's being reused you know out there in the wild. People in El Salvador are finding it useful. It's creating all these new business opportunities for people and people with some people with limited resources as well. So it's a very worthwhile project to get working on. Yeah, it's great. Uh, just keep improving it, I guess, and keep letting, letting it grow. Encourage more and more people to uh, build extensions and, and, and develop it out further. I also think as well that ellenbits.com, because uh, currently, you know, if you go to ellenbits.com, it's, it's like a playground. You can use it. Sometimes it'll bug out. Uh, we literally, I sometimes I'll turn the server off for a day just to show people you don't, please don't put funds on there. It's, we're not a stable service. We're not an open node. We, this, this is literally for you to go and experiment on. Uh, if you want to run LMBits, run it yourself for God's sake. Uh, but I do think there's a good argument for LMBits.com being a legitimate service. And in order for it to be a legitimate service, you know, I've got limited time. The other developers working on LMBits have limited time. It needs, business manager needs someone to tackle the regulatory stuff um we've had people in our lmbits chat say you know even if lmbits.com when you got to a certain threshold required some kyc people would still use it and they wouldn't even mind still using it and it's like well, okay lmbits.com as an example uh, as a running example which services could use it would be nice to make that like a legitimate service which people could use if they wanted to um and i think that could then generate revenue and that revenue could be poured into development. And obviously it'll, as a legitimate service as well, there's much more strengthening, which goes into the software. And as it's free and open source software, then everyone else who's running it in the community, they all get to benefit from that as well. I think making alanbits.com is probably something which needs to be tackled at some point. Got a few people kind of interested in sort of the VC world. We're not really sure if we want to go that route, but I don't know, like, that's, that's something which needs to be tackled at some point, but finding the time to tackle it is, is hard, particularly when you get excited and just want to sit and build goofy extensions all day. Something that I like to do on the show towards the end here is to do that call of action. It sounds like you largely um, already did that call to action. <laughs> Plea to action. Please come Plea and Plea to action, <laughs> right. Uh, but I guess like most of that call to action was towards people that are a bit more technical you started to address the non-technical people at the end there. Do you want to kind of briefly give examples of how people that are less technical or people that maybe need to kind of uh, bootstrap their their technical ability um, could get involved in Ellen Bits? 
the idea of referral fees that came from someone who's not technical, can't do any programming. I don't, I'm assuming that they can't do any, maybe they're a shard developer, but I don't think they are. I think they're a non-technical. I've no reason to think they're a developer. Fairly confident in saying it's a non-technical person. So just playing, it's always the same with all free and open source projects, all free and open source projects. The first thing they say is just run the software, run and use the software by doing that you're supporting us. It's great. Thank you. You'll find things which you, want, which you think should be changed or you'll you'll think, oh, you could do this or you could do that. And if you've got ideas, you know, go on the GitHub repo, put in an issue for an enhancement. If that's beyond your comfort zone, go to the Telegram group, t.me backslash LMBits. Pop in there. We've had so many like improvements to LMBits, which has literally just come through randoms, going on the LMBits Telegram and saying, hey, guys, I had an idea for things like the um, QR code, in fact, so you could like export to your phone from the wallet, having that in, in the wallet. I'm pretty sure that was just an idea just thrown into the Telegram group. Use the software, play with it, find flaws, find things which could be improved, ideas for you know things which you could be built on it, extensions, ideas for extensions. Go chuck them into the Allen Bits chat. Don't feel guarded on ideas. In this kind of free and open source world, it's, it is really hard to kind of ditch the, you know, the sort of copyright, patent, like ownership over intellectual property. Uh, I think it's quite hard to ditch that feeling like you want to own something. You want to own, if you had an idea, you want to own it. But like almost always when someone has a good idea, they keep it and they keep it to themselves, which sadly happens pretty much throughout you know, our society now all the time people have great ideas all the time but they want to keep it to themselves because they feel that that's you know how they're going to profit from it and that's what you should do and actually you know release it out there into the world uh get people to help you build it get people excited about it um and then you've got your flag in the the, the sand in in the timeline and you can look back at it and you can say oh yeah i came up with that idea I went and said it in the Telegram group or I went and said it on Twitter and then people built it and people find it really useful now. And that was my idea. And you can use that, you know, you can even capitalize on that. Just get those ideas out there. Um, and uh, if, if, you, if you want something made, uh, we have a bunch of really good developers who work for a bounty. Um, I've used a bunch of times, you know, like I'll go in there and say, I really want this extension to exist and I'll pay 0.01 BTC, which I think is like, what's that? $300 or something now. Um, uh, in fact, you probably go lower because I, that used to be like a hundred dollars when I do that. And people go, yeah, cause it's like a, it take some people a day to make. If you're not technical, you just by running the software, it's a huge contribution. Offering up ideas is a huge contribution. Please just, you know, that's the easiest way to get involved. And then if you want to start getting your hands dirty, have a look at the file system and have a look at the extensions, have a look at how the extensions are laid out. Uh, and it's fairly easy to kind of work out what's going on. You know, you have these API files and you've got the front end files in your sort of template folder. And then if there is anyone out there who's, you know, can develop, then please jump in and help. Often I hear people say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at developing, you know, I develop in Go or I develop in C or, or whatever, uh, but uh, I've never developed in Python. And I'm like, Python's the easiest language to develop in. So if you, if you could do those other languages, then you could develop in uh, for vanilla Python anyway, which is what most of bits is. So yeah, contributions really, really very welcome. Um, and if anyone knows Fast API and wants to help out on that Fast API branch, uh, check it out on the GitHub and you know reach out to Fusion Forty Four myself. Um, and uh, yeah, that'd be great. The more help we can get on that, the better. 
So before you were kind of talking about ideas and how uh, someone shouldn't hold an idea inside. And I think that makes a lot of sense. What's the point in having an idea that will never get executed upon, that it's in your secret little cubbyhole that no one will ever see and it'll, it'll never benefit anyone? Like, what's the point of that? It's kind of a scientific way of doing it, isn't it? Whereas, you know, in science, you'll, they'll write papers and then they'll cite each other in papers and they'll reference each other. Uh, we have, you know, like Git's great for that. Everybody, even if you're not technical, learn Git. Um, it's, it makes your life better. Uh, the, um, I, I taught my girlfriend Git. She's, you know, she's doing a PhD. Um, and uh, yeah, she's, it's made her PhD a gazillion times easier, being able to push and pull uh, her thesis, you know, from, from her repo um, and make improvements to it. And then also sharing it with, with other people as well. But, but, you know, when you think of Linus Torvalds making Linux, you know, actually I think Linus's most important work was, was on, on Git protocol. So Git's great because you, if you have an idea, you just write it down, publish it on Git, share it with people say, you know, I recently, so I did the exact same thing. I had, this, I've had this idea for kind of a decentralized uh, Uber type thing or, you know, um, a censorship resistant Uber where anyone could just spin up a taxi. And I was kind of kind of thinking about it in an, an analytic centric way, but it uses the, the Nostar protocol, which is like clients and relays and you send information through these relays to the different clients. So you know, the taxi is a client and the, has a client piece of software and the, the customer has a client piece of software and they just communicate through a relay. And uh, I haven't made it yet, but I just didn't want anyone else to, to plant that flag saying they've come up with this idea. So I, I just I took the time to sit down and write up a proposal and then go. I went to the Nostar repo and I, I raised an issue. And I, the issue, I think all the issue, like, you know, Boober proposal for a censorship resistant taxi service. I put it up on there. Uh, I tweeted it out and then people really liked it. And I think some people got confused and thought I'd already made it or something because I, I got a lot of likes for it. But then I had like this really nice conversation with people saying, well, you should do it this way. You shouldn't do the way, way which you propose. You should try and do this instead of this. And they're all really good suggestions. And they, you know, I've changed the proposal. Um, and uh, you, you start that conversation then, you know, you just get the idea out there. And then people start contributing, I, you know, giving up their time to make suggestions. And, and now the thing which I'll go and build uh, next month, I'm, I'm going to do this next month. I want to get it done for the uh, El Salvador conference will be better because I've had all that great input and I've got my flag in the sand. You know, I came up with this idea at this point in time, probably someone came up with it before me, but I've got my flag in the sand. But in the scientific community, like the way science works, it's good to kind of give recognition of people when they have ideas uh, or when they, they came up with an idea which influenced your idea. It's very good to give recognition of it. And you do that through references and academic papers. But I think we can do it through you know, through Git, putting issues on, on Git's repos and making your own repo with a proposal for an idea and, and publishing it and getting it out there. Uh, that, that's one way you can kind of plant a flag in the sand. If you want, you could even use some like open timestamps if you're really nutty and you really wanted to prove that you had that idea at that particular point in time, then you could do that. And then you're part of that conversation and, and someone in the future though, when they're researching, because I think guarding your own ideas just limits your imagination. Because as soon as you start having a conversation with somebody, they'll say something and then you'll go, oh yeah, and actually I could do this as well. And that's how the idea snowballs and evolves and turns into something useful. But just having that instinct, which we're all, which is kind of drummed into us, you know, it's like the common sense of our age is if you have an idea, then you should protect it and you shouldn't tell anyone about it. You should monetize it. You should patent it and you should get a copyright on it, blah, 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 and pay lots of lawyers to, to get copyright, to free lots of patent lawyers. Yeah, I think it just, it really um, limits, limits innovation. 
and humanity's ability to kind of progress. So, uh, yeah, get that idea. Just get out of there. Get out of the system. And it's actually, in fact, in Nostar, uh, somebody had just a similar idea to Nostar, but they hadn't put pen to paper. Uh, so, so it was about a week ago, someone in the Nostar group posted, I had this idea, I think it's called Treebit, uh, and it's a lot like Nostar. I had it years ago, but I never put pen to paper. I didn't do anything about it. Uh, but now I just, I've just i taken the time to sit down, write this thing out, and see you know if there's anything in there which you guys might find useful to the, the approach which I was going to take to solve this problem. And uh, a bunch of us Nostar freaks and geeks, we, you know, we read through the proposal uh, and there's some cool, interesting points in there. And I said, I, I messaged the guy and I was like, I bet that was really cathartic. Just kind of getting that because it was rattling around in your brain for years. It's something you keep feeling you need to do, but never actually quite getting around to doing it to get it out. You know, it just feels good. But I bet that wish that tree bit guy, whoever it may be, uh, wished that they got that idea out earlier on just spent an evening just writing down those ideas and putting them out there so they could reference back to it and you know perhaps when nostar was being come up with then people would have stumbled across this tree bit concept and then use tree bit instead you know so like get the ideas out there get the flag in the sand ultimately can't take your money with you can you but you um you can you know have your impact on humanity and society and uh and you know get a bit of an ego boost by putting your flag in the sand (laughs) Not to keep going with this ideas tangent, but I'm enjoying it too much here. So it seems to me that like if you just have an idea and you try to to kind of be the most naively selfish about it, it's going to backfire. Because like this uh, this person that you're referencing that created this earlier, you know, said I had this idea first. Like I thought that story was going to go a different direction. I had this idea first. Y'all suck. Bye, and that was the end of the story. But instead, it sounded like it ended a bit more constructively there, and it like it it sounds like he had the right idea. That it's like maybe you guys can benefit from my idea versus I'm super smart and super special because I came up with this great idea. Look at me. Exactly, and I I do think that is this concept of the the entrepreneur who gets this divine inspiration and and is somehow greater than other humans and some is somehow cast in a different way they're one in a million and uh you you don't get them very often i think that's nonsense i think more or less most people like 50 percent of the population can be that person given the right set of circumstances the right set of words the right set at a point in time in their in their life they can become that person or they could have been that person uh, but I, I think it's something we venerate in society because it kind of like maybe excuses like the hierarchy of having them at the top and then and then people, lots of people underneath them. But I think it just suppresses ideas. There's a really nice, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too much of a rant on this, but uh, there's, a really, there's a really nice concept by John Nash, who obviously came up with the game theory stuff later on in life, and it's called um, Minds on Strike. Once you've liberated a mind, it's capable of all these incredible things. Most minds aren't liberated and most minds are on strike because, you know, daily life is a slug and it's hard. You often find, you know, like me, for example, I I love teaching. I had a very rewarding teaching career and it's the best job anyone could ever do. And it gives you time to think. However, when I was able to take my little sabbatical away from teaching and dedicate a few days a week to doing Bitcoin things exclusively, I became hyperproductive i came and ideas would just fall you know roll off each other just having that little bit of extra breathing space and then also you know i'm kind of encouraging nurturing environment nice family all that sort of stuff you know 
<laughs> very supportive partner. If you have the right environment and then good ideas can, can, most people can come up with good ideas. Most people can make good ideas. And I think that concept of guarding good ideas, it does, it restricts development. You know, look at, look at something like the iPhone, for example. Um, the reason, you know, it works so well is because they hold the biggest, you know, R&D development team. And then they hold a whole, whole bunch of patents on all this different ways of doing this hardware, the touchscreen, whatever else. And, uh, and no one else can access that technology, which they patented because it's theirs. So the other people need to work out other ways around it. Look at like within Bitcoin, store signatures, for example, the reason, you know, we're only just going to introduce them soon with the taproot stuff is because it was under patent for so many years and that just held back Bitcoin. Like they just made Bitcoin have to use like an inferior technology, uh, for years. So particularly in this modern era where we're all sharing information and data with each other, I, I, I think obviously it's happening, you know. Free, free and open source has really took hold. And I think Microsoft now is the biggest free and open source contributor out there. So uh, all these big companies who really held proprietary control over information as, as hard and as tightly as they could, that control is just slipping away from them. And I think it's happening more and more. And, you know, being able to produce things in lots of different countries also makes mockery of patents and, you know, like a lot of the Chinese manufacturing, they don't care about patent. They'll just make something, you know, I'll just uh, they won't care about some US patent on on something. So I understand the 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 logic that if you've spent money researching and developing something, then you should then be able to profit over that thing. But I think actually you should be able to profit because you're the first one to come up with that idea. You're the first one to implement it. You're the best person to implement it, and you've got the gigabrains who came up with that idea. But I think it just it will probably just then limit. You know, if those people who came up with ideas, those engineers. Uh, the scientists came up with that idea. If they can then speak freely about that idea amongst their peers, uh, rather than be held back by proprietary licensing, then they're going to have that conversation and that idea is going to expand and develop quicker than if it's just walled as a garden and, and held behind a patent or a copyright. But I mean, we're all very aware of all this anyway within Bitcoin, because obviously Bitcoin is basically free and open source money, isn't it? You know, uh, Free to contribute, you can use it as much as you want. You know, you can fork it, whatever. It's free and open source money. So we're we're as a community, we're you know we're very aware of free and open source ideology. But even me, you know, if I have an idea and then somebody else comes up with that idea or someone else implements it, uh, I kind of get defensive. I'm like, oh, that was my idea, damn it. No, it's it's far better to kind of get that idea out there uh, and share it and have that conversation with people. It's much more healthy. And it, it liberates the mind as you do it. Like the guy who got the tree bit idea, right? it's cathartic. It liberates his mind. And then probably you'll think of better ideas and you can have that conversation with the Nostar people. And that's another thing. If you can come up with a good idea, your brain's capable of coming up with a good idea, which is great. You'll get influence and you'll, you'll get that, that dialogue happening. All right. So I think we should take a step away from uh, this tangent here and uh, finish up the show. Yeah, it's fun though, wasn't it? It's, it's always good to get on the old soapbox and have a good rant. It, it was good. Right. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's like before we necessarily switch off is I like the idea of trying to encourage my audience to examine their insecurity, let's say, because that's something that I've dealt with a lot in my life of being like, eh, no one's going to like my idea. It's stupid. I'm not even going to mention it. Yeah, that's the other idea. There's no, that's the other thing. Like often, I mean, we've had people do this in the Telegram group on a bit. So I'll say, oh, this is a bit stupid. Well, what about if blah, blah, blah? And then a bunch of people go, no, that's great. <laughs> we want that. That's great. Brilliant idea. Yeah. There's no such thing as stupid questions. There's no such thing as stupid ideas. Get them out there. Um, 
just getting the, the, the dialectic, the conversation is what's important. Actually improving humanity through the ideas is the point here, not trying to be a king with your cool ideas, bro. <laughs> I mean, that's two different philosophical uh, concepts, isn't it? There's the rhetoric and then there's the dialectic. I'm very much someone who thinks that humanity gets better by conversation, by exchanging of ideas and coming up with new ideas. Whereas some of the people think that society gets better just by rhetoric, by shouting, <laughs> just, by, just by blaring out their ideas and, and not having that conversation. I agree with you completely. There's a, there's a lot of insecurity in, and you find this a lot actually, in people who have a more of a tendency to, to do rhetoric. There can be a lot of insecurity there. And then quite often actually, people are held back from, and I, I think the Bitcoin community were, were guilty of this with, again, with that technocratic stuff. I've asked some stupid questions and I've had some terrible ideas. Uh, I've asked some really like mundane things of some very clever people. But like recently, like with the LNUL PRS thing, uh, I asked uh, Stepan because I was using his UBitcoin library on Arduino. And I was like, dude, can I, how do I do the LNURL stuff? But um, how do I do, because basically with LNURL, you need to do a BEC32. You need to encode something using BEC32. And I was like, I know BEC32 is in there, but how do I do it? And he sent me this like, you know, tiny little function. Uh, and I was just incapable of coming up with myself. And it was basically for his, for, for a quantum physics professor such as him, it was a kind of a stupid question. But he was excited that I was just using his library. Uh, and uh, he understands, you know, my, <laughs> my knowledge is limited when it comes to things like that. that. So um, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was, and he understands that I'm going to hopefully make something which is fun out of it. He contributed, he gave me, he gave me uh, that little bit of data there. But, you know, I, it's all off when people, you know, feel unconfident to, to suggest things or ask stupid things is, you know, just get involved and start chatting. Just get in there and just start doing the thing. If you like the thing, it doesn't matter what it is to some extent, you know, if you really like video games, go play the damn video games and, you know, do speed runs or something and get really good at that, whatever. Um, Anyway, sorry. So let's go ahead and close out the show here. Um, I wanted to kind of just ask for like a general question here about the Lightning Network. Is there anything that's, you know, coming here in the future that you're, you're really excited about? In in the last few shows, we've, you know, talked about any prev out slash BIP 118 slash L2. Do you have anything along those lines you're excited about or anything else? I feel too ill-informed to to say something. I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited about the drives chain stuff. Any proof out? Uh, it's got. I'm excited about them uh, because people who I respect and I brush you know, shoulders with in uh, on the stuff we work on, they're excited about those things and they're well informed about them. So that makes me excited too. Uh, but as I said, you know, my <laughs> I have to keep my focus fairly limited, or else I, I just get confused. I would say the thing I'm most excited about in Lightning is the El Salvador stuff. I know it's not been, I know it's kind of been pushed upon people, but just the idea of Lightning being used in the real world, those instant payments being used in the world, to me that I find that fascinating and I, I, I want to support because ultimately, yes, it's being pushed on people, but it's something which is going to dissolve the power of uh, of state and the people who who at the top isn't it ultimately you know because you're taking it away their power over money which is good uh, so yeah no I I really want that it is an experiment because it's they're the first people to do it I really want that experiment to work seeing Lightning Network on top of other things like 
I like the way Liquid Network tokens, for example, you can run Lightning Network on top of them. Um, I think maybe for somewhere like El Salvador, I think that the real negative feedback is volatility, particularly if you've got very low income. Having Lightning on maybe like a stable coin or something stable, which is on Liquid, but is also kind of like, you know, pegged or linked with Bitcoin would be great for the people using it. You know, you can just... It's not much of a change for them. They're still using the same software. It's just, we just fork that software and just make it work with that stable coin or whatever. They're the things I'm kind of excited about in Lightning. So it's more, it's more about how Lightning is being used in the real world as opposed to some of the theoretical protocol stuff. I'm sure if any of that stuff takes hold and, and, and does well, it, I'll, I'll become excited about them because I'll have to learn about it. It's funny, like, so going back to the LNURL as an example, when I first learned about LNURL, I was like intrigued by it, but I didn't really get it. And then when I finally understood it, I was like, damn, this rings a bell. And then that's when I remembered a year earlier or something, I proposed something similar to the LNURL pay stuff on the, on the Bitcoin mailing list. So yeah, it takes, takes me a while for like concepts or, or new tools to be to sink in i'm not someone who can just read a paper and go oh, okay that makes sense to me now it takes me a while. i need to see i don't know it takes me a while for it to sink once it sinks in though, i get all excited about it but no i i'm going to think you know the form to say about either any private or, or or drive chains really just that people i know who i like are excited about them and that's good enough for me absolutely um i definitely feel like there's going to be a future show where we talk about drive chains but i think this one's gone on long enough here so um so we're going to go ahead and close it out i think here thank you yeah thank you so much for having me on it's a great pleasure to i love your show and um yeah just keep doing the amazing work you're doing project at a time <laughs> <laughs> all right so i think that's a good as the place of any to go ahead and call it uh let's let's end the show do you want to let the listeners know how they could find you on the internets yeah um you go on twitter arcbtc um ben arcbtc on telegram and the github i think i'm art b2c on github as well you can look at all my projects on there if you go on youtube and you go on the world crypto network there's a playlist called uh, diy oh btc iot where there's loads of like hardware bitcoin projects on there which are worth checking out um, and then also check out the lm bits github and t.me backslash lm bits just a note to all of our uh, listeners out there, we had like an extra hour uh, audio that we just had before this end here where we went into all kinds of topics, kind of communism kind of there, you know? No, don't say that. They won't, they won't listen to it and they'll unsubscribe. We both just hate on it loads for a whole hour. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I don't support it, at least. Like, we kind of go over it and we try to have an intellectual... But we have a behind-the-scenes thing. You can catch that on YouTube. Uh, but, but for now, I'll uh, catch you all folks later. Thanks. Boom. That was the 51st episode of the Lightning Junkies Podcast. Everyone loves the pop crazy. I, I, I don't know what's going on, guys. I'm sorry. But I really hope you took something away from this episode, you know, got infected by Ben's prolific prototyping, you know, just getting his hands dirty, jumping into these things, learning these things. It's very much the ethos that we try to extol on the Lightning Junkies podcast.
Our apologies. It took so long to get this episode out. Personal issues, day job, yada, yada, yada. We're trying to use Lightning Friday as a way to kind of keep things going, even if we are falling behind on our mainline Lightning Junkies shows. So I hope you'll be a bit kind and gentle with us as we kind of reconfigure things and get a better hold on our consistency going forward. Beyond that, there isn't much else to say. You know, please check out our show notes for our big supporters and how you can support them and support us by supporting them. Weird way to say all that, but like, like, let's just leave all this in. We're going to have the outro be imperfect. It's okay if it's imperfect. You know, this is me as I am just going on and on for no reason. And there's no reason to listen to any of this, you know, just to hear Chaz talk and talk and talk. I'm good at talking. I'm also good at just not saying anything while I'm talking. I'm sure this is very much within your interest and why you came to listen to the Lightning Junkies podcast. Fire, walk with me, and I will see you on the Lightning Network.